invite you to bow your heads and join with me in a word of prayer. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks the many ways you have poured out your love, all the ways you have blessed us. And God, we pray that we may be cheerful, joyous givers as we return a portion of that back unto you, that we may be a part of building your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from book of 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 24. It is the story of how King Jehoshaphat um, is able, not through his own power, uh, to beat off an invasion. It is also one that I suspect doesn't get preached on much because you do kind of need to read the 24 verses. But don't get lost in the this, son of this, son of this. Listen to the story of how God's power works even when humans hold still and do nothing. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with, and with them some of the Menunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. Already they are at Hazan Tamar, that is, in the Enigid. Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the towns of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? In your hand are power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? They have lived in it. And in it, they have built you a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and save. See now, the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when we came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. They reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment upon them? For we are powerless against this great multitude that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mahataniah, sure, a Levite, the son of Aspah. In the middle of the assembly, he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not Fear or be dismayed at this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley before the wilderness of Jeruel. The battle is not for you to fight. Take your possession. Take your position. Stand still and see the victory of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear. 
or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Korahites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and went down the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets. When they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy splendor as they went, went before the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, and his steadfast love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the Amorites, Moab, and Mount Seir, who came against Judah, so they were routed. The Amorites and the Moabites attacked the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them utterly. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude. They were corpses. Lying on the ground. No one had escaped. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. So, I admit this may seem like strange pairing. We are doing uh, the Bengals Manic Monday as part of Summer of Rock. This like light pop rock hit about not wanting to go to work. And I have just paired it with this thing where the last verse is they looked out in the multitude and they were corpses in a field. What on earth do these two things have to do with one another? What, what is happening here? Well, okay. So go with me on this one. The Bengals hit... Um, Manic Monday, it was their first kind of real single that blew up. It reached number two on the charts in 1986, the year it came out. Fun fact about this song, it was not written by the Bangles. The Bangles did not write all of their own stuff. This song was written by Prince, of all people. Prince had written this song for his own group, the Apollonia Six. They recorded a version of it. For whatever reason, that version didn't come out until after Prince's death. Um, he one day just was impressed by the Bengals, called up the Bengals, said, hey, I got a couple songs for you. Do you want them? To which they went, yes. Yes, we do want that. Um, and out of that phone call and that gift from Prince comes Manic Mondays. Fun fact about Manic Mondays also, I said it reached number two on the charts. You want to know... Who wrote the number one song on the charts that year? Also Prince. Prince had the number one and the number two song. He just performed the number one song and wrote the number two song. But it is this lovely, I think, pop anthem that we can all identify with of having your day off come to an end and having to face the prospect of working another day, another manic Monday. I wish it was Sunday. That's the day I don't have to do anything. Why can't it be Sunday? I'm going to be late to work. I can't figure out what I'm going to wear. The I can come up with all the excuses, but the, excuses, but the boss is going to know why I'm late to work. I just don't want to do it. And why we can all identify with this song is that modern life, whether this was 35 years ago or now, is fundamentally over-programmed. 
overstressed. Whether you are a working person uh, facing another day on the grind, whether you're a retired person who has found that maybe retirement was not as free and clear and non-busy um, as it looked like, whether you went from a working job to a retirement job that is just about as busy as the thing you had before, all of us live in an existence, I'm willing to bet, where we feel like we are constantly going from thing to thing to thing to thing and constantly looking back and going, if only it were Sunday, if only it were the day I don't have to do anything, if only I could rest, if only I could rest, if only I could rest. There never seems to be enough time to rest. There never seems to be enough time to connect with God. There never seems to be enough time to do the things we know we should do to make ourselves better people, better Christians, healthier people. It's always just another manic Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. Because Saturday you're, you're not working at your job, you're taking the kids to baseball, soccer, whatever. Um, or you have to come to church to build a wall in the basement or dig a 250-foot trench or whatever, right? We find a way to fill every day. Because we think, we get in this trap, and I'm guilty of it as anybody, that if we don't do those things, if we don't do the things, if we don't do the things, it's all going to fall apart. And yet that's exactly the opposite of what happens in our story of King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat is, has the greatest challenge of his entire kingship before him. And he wins the battle by doing almost nothing. Nothing. He just stands there and tells the people to sing and they win. And it's a field of corpses. Now, King Jehoshaphat was not always like this. He is one of the good biblical kings. There's only like six of them. There's David, uh, who is not exactly perfect, but is a good king. There is uh, Solomon. There is Josiah. There is Hezekiah. There is Jehoshaphat, and maybe a couple more. But most of the kings in the Bible are garbage fires. But Jehoshaphat, not. Jehoshaphat's a good guy. He institutes a lot of reforms. He bans the worship of idols, which tends to be what makes you a good king. But at one point in chapter 16, or excuse me, chapter 17 and 18 of 2 Chronicles, King Jehoshaphat is involved in a war fighting alongside Israel. So this is when Judah and Israel are separate nations. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, where Jerusalem is. Um, this other guy, king of Israel. They are in an alliance against some enemies. But a prophet of the Lord tells them, don't do this battle, you're going to lose. And Jehoshaphat, knowing what the prophet of the Lord had said, does the battle anyways. The battle does not go well. Jehoshaphat survives it, but barely, and is sent with, going back home with his tail between his legs. Flash forward a couple chapters. Now again, he is set Beset by enemy upon enemy. The Moabites and the Amorites and the Mennonites and the Jebusites and the whatevers, right? Like, all of the ites are against him. He is beset by many ites. And he knows he's doomed. He does not 
have the army to withstand this. He does not have an earthly ally that can come to save him. But he is also the king and has the responsibility to care for his people. And so what is Jehoshaphat's grand plan? Pray about it. Pray about it. That's what he does. He goes before the Lord in prayer in, in, in verses 3 and 4. Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the towns of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And jumping down to verse 12. This is now a Jehoshaphat praying in front of all of the people. Oh, our God, will you not execute, execute judgment upon them? For we are powerless against this great multitude that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I can only imagine the humility that must have taken on the part of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's the king. He has the crown. I don't know if they wore crowns. Let's assume they did. The crown and the throne and the army and the grandeur, right? He is the king. And kings are supposed to know how to defend their people in battle. Right? It's one of the things that throughout human history we have valued in kings is their ability to win battles, their ability to always have the answer, their ability to know exactly what to do. And what Jehoshaphat does instead is he stands in front of the entire assembly of the people and goes, I have no idea what to do. This enemy is too great. God, we know that this is your land. We are your people. You gave us this land. We've got these enemies. We need you to protect us because without you, we can't do it. We don't know what to do. That's a lot of humility and a lot of trust. The fate of his people hang on the result of this prayer. But he had the humility to know that he could go to God with it. And he trusted in God that God would do it. And so then, all of a sudden, imagine it's this, you know, the Temple Mount is about, okay, I've been there. So imagine a thing stretching from the playground uh, to that tree with red flowers. You see that out there? That's about the size of the Temple Mount. It's about, you know, a couple of football fields. It's, a, it's fairly big. And so imagine a few thousand people gathered on this Temple Mount, um, all looking at the king. And in their midst, Someone speaks up. And this is our good friend, uh, Je Jehaziel. Yes, Jehaziel, Jehaziel. Uh, Jehaziel, uh, one of a priest who is serving as the prophet of the Lord. And Jehaziel speaks up, as, gets a message from God in response to Jehoshaphat's prayer. And he says, thus says the Lord, go forth in battle and do absolutely nothing. And God will deliver the victory. Go forth in battle and hold still. This is not your battle. This is God's battle. Everything is going to be fine. Just show up and watch the show. Right? He concludes uh, his wonderful speech, uh, his wonderful message from God in verse 17. This battle is not for you to fight. Take your position, stand still, and see the victory of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. 
Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go against them, and the Lord will be with you. Hold still. Hold still. Do nothing. This battle is not yours. This battle is God's. And yes, that's what's happened. We have this wonderful medieval painting of a field of corpses, right? Yes, here we go. Lovely medieval art. They're so cheerful. Um, and, and God does exactly that. God shows up, basically plays a trick on them. The enemies take themselves out. And all they do is just stand there and sing, right? And that's a ridiculous battle strategy, right? Can you imagine, right? You, you know you're marching against the enemy and your king has told you, no, 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 don't sharpen your swords. Don't even bring them. Why not? We're going to battle. No, no, don't bring the swords. Don't bring the chariots. You know, don't bring the horses. Just bring some trumpets. Trumpets? Okay. But they do. They show up in the field with trumpets, not swords. They praise God. They win the battle. The end. And this is where I think there's a message for us. Not just a message that Jehoshaphat's a good king and he got this one right. Their battle belonged to the Lord, yes. But if we are following God's purpose in our lives, if we are seeking to do that which God wants us to do, if we are seeking to live a life guided by God's Spirit, if we have indeed put our lives into God's hands, all of our battles belong to the Lord as well. We are no different than King Jehoshaphat and Jehaziel and all of our friends here in Second Chronicles. If we are truly following after what God wants for our lives, we too are not the owners of the battles. God is the owner of the battle. And so we can be still and trust in God. We can know that the battle belongs to the Lord and that our first refuge in time of trouble should be the Lord. And yet we never, we seldom take the time to actually do that. We seldom pause in the midst of the craziness of life to hand things over to God. We seldom take that Sabbath time to connect with the Lord. Even though, truth be told, the battle belongs to the Lord, and the power to win the battle certainly belongs to the Lord and not to us. Friends, our modern world is killing us. The hustle and the bustle and the stress is incredibly detrimental to all of our health, to our souls, to our bodies, to our minds. You see, the average person in modern culture is essentially high on the stress hormone cortisol nearly all of the time. And that causes high blood pressure. And that causes heart disease. And that feeds into things like anxiety and depression. And that also just feeds into the fact that you are not, that it is destroying your mind because your mind cannot process what is happening. It's destroying your physical body and destroying your soul. And we're all doing this to ourselves all of the time. And I'm certainly as guilty as any as a, you know, you know, chronic workaholic. I'm as guilty as any. We're all constantly high on cortisol and it is literally killing us because we keep making the battle ours. And we have all of these lovely excuses as to why we do this. Why we stay high on cortisol rather than turning to God for rest and peace. We say, I am too busy. 
I, can, I do not have time to go to church or go to Bible study or pray in the morning or, or take that 30 minutes to reconnect with God and re refresh myself. I don't have time. Do you see what my calendar is like? Or you might think, I have too much to do, or the challenges I face are too big. If I take my finger off that button for one second, the whole world's going to explode, or something. We tell ourselves these lies. We're very good at them, of why we don't take the time to connect with God. But all of them are ways of saying, no, 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 those are not God's battles. Those are my battles. And no, 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 the victory is not in God. Victory is mine. And no, 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 it's not God's strength. It's my own strength. And look, I work about as directly for God as a person can. It's just the Catholic Pope that works more, for, more directly for God than I do. And I fall to the same trap. I tell myself these same lies. And God's essentially my employer. But there are lies that we tell ourselves. And there are lies that are killing us. And so friends, let us find our rest in God. Let us rest in God. Let us carve out that time. Whether it is a Sunday morning, which for a preacher doesn't work, or whatever day of the week it is, or whether it's finding time in your daily life, hold still and connect with God. Give the problems back over to God. Let God renew and refresh you. Jehoshaphat faced about as big a problem as a king can face, if we're honest, and certainly a bigger problem than I have ever faced. He has all of the ites, arrayed against him. And he holds still. And he prays honestly. And he allows God to take the victory. Because the battle belongs to God. And so we can rest in God. Our life does not have to be Manic Monday after Manic Monday after Manic Monday. Some of the days can be Sunday so that we can be renewed and refreshed and filled with God's spirit rather than high on cortisol. That we can move through life knowing whose we are, knowing who the battle belongs to, and knowing whose power will overcome them. But you can't see that clearly if you don't pause, if you don't rest, if you don't take the Sabbath. It is like a commandment. It is a thing God modeled for us in creation. You can't say that this is some obscure teaching of Christianity or Judaism, right? This is like in Genesis 1 and 2. It's right there. Rest in God. Take that time. The battle belongs to the Lord. When you don't know what to do, pray. About two years ago, our church was really up against it. It had been a tough season. Finances, which is always not our talent, uh, were particularly rough. And it just felt like we were not making progress. And so late one Saturday night, I called the ministry team because I was out of ideas. 
of what we were going to do to overcome the challenges that we faced. I called the ministry team. I called Brandy and Scott and Emily, and I texted a few of the way leadership as well. And we gathered and we sat right here, right on this spot on the stage. And we prayed for three hours. You would think as a pastor I would have come up with this idea long before that, but I hadn't. But I finally felt that conviction of I am out of ideas. I do not know what to do. Let's just pray for the church and find out what happens. Because I was in a very Jehoshaphat-like position of, I don't know. And I'm supposed to know, I think. But I didn't. And so we gathered and we prayed for like three hours, like late into the night. I don't think we started praying until like nine. We didn't leave until after midnight. A couple weeks later, the exact amount of money we needed to keep running showed up in our account. Randomly, it was not an expected donation. And a month after that, was a few weeks after that, was our first pumpkin patch that fundamentally altered the direction of the church. And after that, we, were, we walked into a pandemic time that we could have never anticipated ready and far stronger than we were just a few months earlier. Because we stopped, and we prayed, and we rested in God. I'm not always good at it. But take this advice from a chronic workaholic. I am Trey. I'm a workaholic. That's not the way to live. Rest in God. Part of how we can do that, part of how we can find and renew ourselves in God, is coming around the communion table. That here in the bread and the juice is an opportunity to connect with God. Yes, to remember what God has done for us, but also to know this is a place where God shows up and says, welcome home, says, I got you, says, my strength is in you, go with me. Because throughout human history, one of the things that God has wanted for people to know the most is that God is with us and that we are not alone. And so, yeah, God spoke through Jehaziel and through all the other prophets and all of our ancestors. With that message, I have got you. The battle belongs to me. And in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus Christ in the world, and Christ healed the sick and fed the hungry and declared the time had come when God would save God's people. And by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, he gave birth to the church, unleashed God's grace in the world, and promised to be with us always in the power of God's word and the ongoing presence of God's Holy Loving God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you've given yourself to us. Grant that we may be strengthened by this encounter with you to understand that our battles belong to you and not to ourselves, and to put our trust wholly in you. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends, I now, without further ado, um, I give you the 1986 hit. Uh, performed by the Bengals, uh, written uh, by Prince back when he was just Prince, not the artist formerly known as Prince, not the symbol formerly known as the artist formerly known as Prince, just Prince. Um, I give you uh, our rendition of Manic Mondays. <laughs> we had to cut some lyrics.
Six, six o'clock already, I was just in the middle of a dream. I was kissing Valentino by a crystal blue Italian stream. But I can't be late, cause then I guess I just won't get it paid. These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. It's just another manic Monday. I wish it were Sunday, cause that's my fun day. My I don't have to run day, it's just another manic Monday. Have to get to the early train, gonna be to work by nine. And if I had an airplane, I and if I had an airplane, I still couldn't make it on time. Cause it takes me so long just to figure out what I'm gonna wear. Blame it on the train, but the boss is already there. It's just another manic Monday. I wish it were Sunday, cause that's my fun day. My I don't have to run day, it's just another manic Monday. I wish it were Sunday, cause that's my fun day. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you, form one united body in Christ, for that indeed is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. We do not have to live our lives in an endless series of Manic Mondays if we will rest in God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.